everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You're listening to episode number 16. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on August 5, 2018. First off, I have a quick personal update. Next weekend, I'm headed to the Writers Police Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'll be participating in two days of interactive and educational hands-on experience led by police detectives and officers. This course is designed for writers to enhance understanding of all aspects of law enforcement, firefighting, EMS, and forensics. I'm so excited to do this. I'm currently signed up for some hands-on sessions on high-speed pursuits, a car set ablaze, and door entry and breaching, among other things. So can't wait to participate in these real-world activities and bring this into my fiction. Stay tuned for my readout in a few weeks. Okay, let's talk tech news. It has been a really exciting, quote-unquote, week for emerging technologies and their potential risks. Um... Some of the things that I've been talking about in my classes at National Defense University and um, in my fiction and even on this podcast are actually starting to happen, which is scary, Um, but uh, this is kind of written in stone from my perspective. So 3D printing made headlines across the country this week. It even made it onto The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. In truth, this threat has been building for more than six years and has largely remained off the public's radar, but it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. This week, a legal battle broke out with 19 states pitted against the State Department and defense distributed. So what's the backstory? How did it come to ghost guns and plastic, 3D uh, printed plastic guns making the headlines? Um... So in 2012, Cody Wilson, he was a second-year law student at the University of Texas, he and his friends got together and named themselves Defense Distributed. They launched the Wiki Weapon Project, and the idea was to create a gun that anyone could easily make at home. They used a crowdfunding website to raise funds to develop a 3D-printed plastic gun that can be printed with a low-cost, open-source 3D printer known as the RipRap. So what's important here is the RepRap is one of the lowest-cost 3D printers around. It's fully open-source, so if you want to go make your own RepRap, you can go get the software online and essentially just print out all the parts for the printer, assemble it, and then you can have your own 3D printer and make further 3D printers if that's what you want to do. Anyway, the group successfully produced a plastic gun capable of firing a 22 caliber bullet in 2013. Note, in 2013, long time ago. The gun is called the Liberator. Cody Wilson and his friends uploaded the blueprint online and made it available to everyone who wants to make their own. The design has two non-plastic components, a firing pin and a small piece of steel the, the steel part is designed to make the gun uh, detectable by metal detector because it is illegal to make uh, guns that are undetectable under the U.S. Undetectable Firearms Act. The design was downloaded 100,000 times. This is back in 2013, in just two days, before the State Department stepped in, which you might think is odd since they are the leading agency for diplomacy abroad, so why did they step in? 
They demanded the removal of the blueprint from the website under the International Traffic and Arms Regulations, ITAR. So they essentially uh, oversee the implementation of this uh, legislation, and it governs the export of munitions. And since a gun uh, is a munition, um, it covers that as well. So Cody Wilson took down the blueprint, um, but it very quickly became available on distributed file sharing websites such as the Pirates Bay. And of course, you can find anything, uh, a lot of illegal stuff on the dark web. So here's the point. It's digital information. The government can't control it. The government does not have jurisdiction beyond its borders. So if these websites exist in other countries, the U.S. can do nothing about it. And that's one of the key problems with trying to control digital information. So since this development, many more gun designs have been made available online, many more that actually caused me uh, more concern than this plastic one. So why all the excitement today? Well, in 2015, Cody Wilson and Defense Distributed filed a lawsuit against the State Department, claiming that his First Amendment rights were being infringed. And in June, this past June, the State Department settled with Wilson um, essentially allowing Defense Distributed to release the designs online for downloading by anyone. So that's when all the crazy broke out. So on Tuesday, a federal judge, Tuesday of last week, a federal judge in Seattle granted a temporary restraining order to stop the posting of blueprints that would have legally allowed Americans to make 3D printed guns in their own homes. Um, about 19 states now are on board um, filing lawsuits against the State Department and Defense Distributed so I, I essentially agree. We should, shouldn't have these um, out there, uh, f- uh, the designs, and, and we shouldn't allow people just to make guns in their own homes. The problem is, is you really can't stop them. So let's unpack the issues. So these guns are being referred to as ghost guns, essentially because they have no serial numbers and they're essentially untraceable. Um, and they're less detectable than your regular guns. I wouldn't call them undetectable because if you're following the law and you have that steel part in there making them detectable, then technically they could be detectable. And actually, um, TSA has found 3D, um, 3D printed guns at airport checkpoints four times since 2016. If you're bringing these to airport checkpoints, you're, you're breaking the law, you're gonna be thrown in jail. If you're developing guns that don't have that uh, steel part, it's again breaking the law, okay? So these guns are homemade, so anyone with access to the internet can download the blueprint and then simply print the parts using a cheap 3D printer. Easy peasy. But I'm not sure why I understand that everybody's freaking out about this quote-unquote new development. This has been around for a while, um, but we also have... (laughs) A gun accessibility problem in this country, generally speaking. Practically anyone can gain access to weapons in the U.S., even semi-automatic weapons, including criminals, including people with previous mental issues. We're not doing gun control in this country, so I'm not sure why plastic guns are a a huge problem. They're not as effective as as their metal counterparts, and... um, Plastic guns are run the risk of exploding after multiple shots, so I don't think I want to shoot a plastic gun. So um, the real issue of concern here is not 3D printed plastic guns. It's the fact that 3D printing is changing the game. It is This technology is diffusing power away from governments into the hands of individuals. With 3D printing, citizens can print whatever they want in secret, and the government can't do much about it. 
Even if the government makes certain things illegal, detection is nearly impossible. And oh, by the way, if you make certain things illegal, only the good guys are going to follow the law anyway. So you haven't really solved the problem. So this is just indicative of a new type of problem that governments are going to face. And um, so there's a, a great article, the 3D printed gun controversy, controversy, everything you need to know from CNET.com. I will include that in the show notes if you're interested in further reading. So if you want something to worry about, I suggest you start worrying about drones. This is something that's real, that's happening, and that is completely different. Um, again, we have 3D plat. We have guns in this country, 3D, plas 3D printed plastic guns do not change that equation too much in my mind. However, drones are completely new. And last night, the Venezuelan president survived an apparent drone assassination attempt. He was giving a speech during a military parade and several drones threw flew toward him and exploded in the air. The video footage um, that you can find online, it's kind of amazing, um, shows the reactions of President Nicolas Maduro and his wife on stage. It also shows dozens of soldiers lined up um, on the streets below, suddenly scattering and fleeing in terror. The drones are coming. All right, let's get to fiction. Last week, Lara recovered from, uh, was recovering from smoke inhalation in the hospital, and she learned some interesting things about the case. So let's find out what happens next. Chapter 16, Black Death. Lara watched Maggie pull out a sofa bed while wearing a Gucci black cocktail dress and matching Jimmy Choo high heels. Her one-bedroom apartment in Fort Totten was so different from what Lara was used to. The high ceilings, which exposed the ductwork and electrical wiring above, the tall industrial windows, and the open concept made the apartment feel much larger than the actual square footage. The urban modern feel of Maggie's apartment did not appeal to Lara. With all its harsh corners, hard surfaces, and cold colors, it made her miss her cozy traditional townhouse with creaky wooden wood floors and antique furnishings even more. Thanks so much for taking me in, Lara said with an uneasy smile. Every bone in her body screamed for her to stop intruding. She wished she could go back to her apartment where she wasn't dependent on someone else. I don't have a choice. Where would I go? Even after five days in the hospital, investigators hadn't finished examining the crime scene at Lara's townhouse. Sully was gone. Vic had been kicked out of his apartment. She didn't have anyone from her old army unit nearby, and she had no family to speak of. There was Rob, but asking him would be pushing it. He'd already done too much. Although seeing the look on Bimbo Barbie's face might be worth it. No worries, mate. It was the least I could do, Maggie said, opening her sliding door a crack to let in some fresh air. The chilly night air smelled of a wood-burning fire from a nearby chimney. You've been through a lot lately, and frankly, I'm not here all that much. I don't mean to keep you from your event, Lara frowned. Maggie was the keynote speaker at a scientific fundraising event that evening. Don't worry about me. I can handle myself. Lara looked down and fidgeted with the buttons on her shirt. I feel awful, like I'm butting in. Maggie threw up her hands and waved off Lara's worries. Oh, please, those bloody people can wait. I don't have to give my remarks until an hour after it starts. Plus, it's customary to be at least 30 to 45 minutes late to these things. If I showed up on time, everyone would get all fussy and feel like they had to entertain me or something. Lara laughed. Maggie's expression turned serious. 
Anywho, how's your case going? Did they find out how Sully died? Sully? Lara had no idea what had been going on between her two friends, and she hadn't planned on bringing him up. She took a moment to decide what to say. The medical examiner found signs of the plague during Sully's autopsy. She watched Maggie's reaction closely. What? Maggie froze in place, eyes wide, mouth slightly hanging open. What kind of plague? Septicemic plague, Lara said, hoping she pronounced it correctly. There was a rash on his body and bleeding underneath his nails. Maggie frowned. I'm not sure how that's possible. The bacteria must enter the bloodstream to cause an infection, but that time of plague usually occurs as a result of untreated bubonic or pneumonic plague. Bubonic? Lara stared at her blankly. Sorry. Most cases of the plague are bubonic and caused by the bite of an infected flea. And as you know, that's no longer possible. What about pneumonic plague? Lara asked. Pneumonic plague is very rare, but you can get it from untreated plague infections or if you inhale infectious droplets from someone who has it. Septicemic plague is difficult to get on its own. You can still get it through insect bites or handling infected animals, but it's very unusual these days. Do you think the beetle I gave you had anything to do with it? Lara asked, stroking her bandaged arm. Maggie furrowed her brow. She began pacing about the room, her fists clenched tightly. That's what I'm worried about. I've been studying the beetle you gave me. I'm just not certain about what I found, and I'm hesitant to jump to conclusions. Testing an insect to find different genes that allow it to carry a particular disease is like looking for a needle in the haystack. The consequences of my findings would be so profound, it could change the field of entomology as we know it. I need to be sure before I give you an answer. She took a deep breath and added, This could be the breakthrough my lab needs to keep its funding. I understand you need to be sure, but what do you think you found? Lara asked. Maggie hesitated for a minute. I believe the beetles you gave me was genetically modified to bite humans and perhaps carry a dangerous pathogen. Maybe even the plague. I think the scientists use CRISPR, a powerful gene editing tool to snip out sections of the beetle's genetic code and replace it with new code, allowing it to bite and carry disease. What do you mean by snipping out DNA? A genome refers to the entire genetic code for any living organism. Each of us has unique genetic code or DNA made up of A's, C's, G's, and T's, like our own personal software. In the same way we can edit computer software code, we can also edit your DNA. We can cut, copy, and paste pieces of the code. Lara's eyes widened. And do you think someone edited the genetic code of the beetle? Maggie nodded. Whoever modified the beetle left behind some crude genetic markers. I can tell the beetle's genome has been tinkered with, but I'm not certain about the exact impact of the changes. Each gene codes for different functions. I don't know enough about the beetle's original code to determine what genes and functions have been altered. For example, I can't confirm for sure if the beetle is actually capable of transmitting disease. If I did, it would be a huge discovery that would shake up my field. Beetles are not known for being vectors of human diseases. My colleagues in Oz are going to send me a data set for Christmas beetle genomes by email soon and establish a baseline. Then I can get some specific answers. Lara rubbed her chin, trying to absorb what she was hearing. What do you mean by crude genetic markers? 
I mean, a scientist did a messy job of cutting, copying, and pasting, and that might indicate the changes to the beetle you found at Sully's place were experimental rather than the final product, Maggie sighed. I'm going to miss that bloke. I didn't realize you and Sully connected so well, Lara blurted, looking intently at her friend. Maggie shot her a guarded look. What are you getting at, Lara? Lara crossed her arms. I thought Sully left the bar long before you got a chance to hang out. Why didn't you tell me you met with him before he died? I had to learn about it from Sully's journal, of all things. Maggie frowned. It's really none of your business. I left the bar shortly after Sully on the big night. We bumped into each other on the street corner. He was pissed drunk. Well, maybe both of us were off our faces. Anyway, the bloke got cheeky, ended up hitting on me, and I went home with him. Lara gaped at her. What? He's hot, Maggie said. And then what? Why did you meet up again? He called me several days later to ask for my help. Why didn't you tell me this before? Lara asked. Maggie crossed her arms. Okay, you're the one who couldn't be bothered to tell me about Sully's death when you came to me with that beetle. I didn't think Sully's call was pertinent. I didn't even know he was dead until a few days ago. What did he want? Lara asked, though a sense of guilt for distrusting Maggie surfaced. He came to me in confidence and didn't want anyone to find out. He thought he had been bitten by something and popped around for me to take a look at it. Maggie looked at her watch and walked toward the closet to get her coat. And? Laura, Laura pressed. I didn't recognize the bite marks, but I suggested he get a prescription for antibiotics from his doctor. Now I realize it could have been that the beetle that bit him. Do you think that beetle could have given me the plague too? Lara asked as terror shot through her body. Twice now such a beetle had landed on her. And as much as she disliked beetles, she never thought them to be harmful or deadly in any way. No, the beetle you gave me does not carry any human pathogens, but it appears to have the genetic code that would allow it to do so. But the carrying gene was turned off. But the beetle was modified to carry the disease, Lara asked. Maggie nodded. And what if the gene was turned on, Lara asked. If the gene was turned on and the beetle carried the plague, presumably it could infect you with the disease. Lara contemplated everything she learned. Do you think Sully's killer might be planning to do something terrible with the plague? I don't know what to think, Maggie said, wringing her hands. You're the detective. Talk to your coppers about it. Lara wrinkled her forehead. But why else would a scientist go through the trouble of modifying a beetle to bite humans and carry the plague? Like I said, the consequences of my findings, if correct, would be profound for my field. The plague has caused three of the greatest pandemics in human history. The disease is so greatly feared, it's called, called the Black Death. If someone wanted to cause death and widespread panic, the plague would be a bloody good way to go. Why? Lara asked. Well, it's fairly easy to get a hold of Yersinia pestis from a lab, and there are strains of the bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics. The fatality rate of untreated pneumonic plague is extremely high. So if someone were to target un an unsuspecting population, there would be significant casualties. The dose for causing infection is quite low. Also, pneumonic plague is contagious and can spread from person to person. All of this is why in the past some countries have developed the plague as a weapon of biological warfare. Maggie glanced at her watch and shrugged her shoulders. And on that positive note, go, go, Lara said, waving her friend out the door. I don't want you to be too late. Oh, I almost forgot. Maggie reached into her purse, pulled out a USB drive, and tossed it to Lara. Lara caught the USB drive and turned it over in her hand. What's this? 
That's all the camera footage we were able to get off the micro camera on the Beetle. I haven't had a chance to look at it. Could this USB have evidence who might have murdered Sully? Lara's heart pounded quickly. She'd completely forgotten about the camera. Thanks. I'll check it out. Have fun tonight. Lara didn't wait for Maggie to close the door before she reached for her new MacBook purchased with her credit card, walked over to the bar stool at the large island in the kitchen, and put her shiny new computer on the marble counter. She shoved the USB in the slot and opened the video. The video footage started on the evening of Sully's death. At the beginning of the recording, the beetle appeared to be perched on the top of a bookshelf in the library, and the camera looked down below. The grainy footage made it difficult to distinguish the details. Lara carefully forwarded through hours of blank footage. About the time of the drone show, a tall person wearing a baseball cap came into the townhouse from the back entrance. Though it was difficult to tell, the person looked to be a woman. Her movements were too lithe to be a man and her frame too curvy. Her hair was tightly tucked underneath the cap and she wore sunglasses. Lara couldn't make out any defining features from the grainy images. The woman appeared to be searching through everything, tossing books off the shelf and searching under and behind chair cushions. What is she looking for? When the beetle flew to the other side of the room to get a better shot, the woman appeared to catch a glimpse of it. She bent down to grab a book and began swinging toward the beetle, trying to swat it. The beetle flew away from the bookshelf in the middle of the room. Suddenly the video went blurry. When the picture came back, the beetle was near the floor as if it had been swatted downward. The shape of, a, of the woman hovered over it, and the closer footage showed her features. Wisps of light-colored hair poked out from underneath her baseball cap, and amber-colored brown eyes stared into the camera. The beetle flew straight up in the air at a steep incline and landed on an antique cast-iron air vent. The video showed her coming straight for it. She slapped down the book just as the beetle slipped into the wide crack in the air vent. The woman's dark eyes peered through the grill into the air duct. So that's how the beetle got into the safe room. Is that woman Marcia Husney? Lara fast-forwarded through a couple hours of blank video from the safe room. About the time of Sully's death, a young man with dark hair and glasses entered the safe room, carrying a plastic container and a cup of coffee. Could this be Sully's assistant, Ashton Grant? Since the fire, Lara had not yet had a chance to follow up on the lead. She watched as he logged into Sally's computer, ate a bite of the sandwich, and drank from the coffee cup. Did he leave a note on my bike? This fingerprints evidence says yes, but why would Ashton do it? Was he working for Fiddler? After searching around on the dark web for an hour, the man got up from the desk and disappeared from the picture frame. Then the video went black. Lara had reached the end of the footage. Did the camera battery run out, or did he know about the camera? Something metallic glinted in Lara's periphery. A familiar buzzing brought her to a standstill, frozen with fear. She looked up. Her expectation met when she recognized the bionic beetle. It carried a small scroll on its back and landed on the counter next to her computer. The little beady eyes stared at her expectantly. When the creepy creature remained in place, her curiosity pushed her fear aside. She reached out and gently pulled the scroll from its back. Her hand trembled as she read the note. I'm glad you're okay. With that, the beetle launched itself into the air, hovered for a few seconds, and then flew out of the crack in the sliding door. Lara ran to the door, following the path of the beetle. Did Maggie leave the sliding door open? Walking out onto the balcony, Lara shivered from the cool night air. 
For a few minutes, she tracked the beetle's flight with her eyes as it reflected the streetlights, and then it disappeared into the darkness. The balcony revealed no sign of any intrusion. Down below, she caught a glimpse of a woman climbing into a dark-colored car. Is that Maggie? In the dark of night, it was impossible to tell. Lara looked at her watch. Thirty minutes had passed since her friend left for the event. Walking back into the apartment, Lara closed the sliding door behind her and warmed herself with her hands. A framed picture on the bookshelf in the far corner caught her eye. Walking over to it, she picked up the picture. Her hands trembled. It was a recent picture of Maggie posing with a Christmas beetle nestled in the palm of her hand. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.